Today on the pod, our annual look at the quarterback depth charts before cutdown day, so it will change. The lack of experience continues to be staggering. And why, when I look at this group of players, the quarterbacks, I'll never listen to the running back arguments. Chris Vanini has been terrific on conference realignment in college football. How did we get here and where is this going? Because we might not even be close to the end product of this. And of course, life advice, Kyle, frolic room, swindler, I don't want to get sued. So frolic room guy in the news. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries. Changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Okay, NFL season is coming up here soon. Cut day is today. I love talking about the backup quarterbacks. We do it every single year on the podcast to remind you where some of these dudes are out and also to remind you of how inexperienced the backups are. As of this morning, there were 90 quarterbacks on the depth charts. I looked at our lads uh, and I went off of that. 92 quarterbacks taking up roster spots. Now, granted, some of those guys are going to be cut. Teams are going to carry four guys. Teams aren't going to even carry three guys. I remember our good friend Danny Cannell, who we just had on last week. He was desperate for a paycheck to hang on. He wanted to be a third stringer more than anything, more than any guy I've ever met in my entire life. That guy wanted to be the third string quarterback. Uh, and he's admitted all of these things. So he'd be looking at teams, who are you going to pick up and whatever. And I think Mike Shanahan with the Broncos, when he cut him, explained to him, he's like, look, we've done all the numbers. The third quarterback never plays. So in the rare instance where the starter and then the backup gets hurt and then everybody's like, I can't believe they only carry two quarterbacks. Well, there's a reason they carry only two quarterbacks because they want to save the roster spot for an extra O-lineman, extra defensive back because the third guy almost never plays in games. And yes, I watched the Niners playoff game last year, but that's the point. Like we bitch about the rare exception when in reality, that's why some of these teams aren't even going to carry three guys. So that number of 92 will obviously dip down, but usually not with the rookies. The rookies are on right now. You used a draft pick on them, or you went after him as an unsigned free agent. Uh, the teams are more likely to hang on to that guy. So let's run through some of the numbers and just emphasize the lack of experience at the most important position in all of sports. So if we're talking 92 total, that means 32 starters and 60 backup QBs as of this morning. 13 of those guys in total of the 92 are rookies, right? 13 rookies already in one class. Um, if you add the rookies to all of the backups that I've gone through here and classified them as less than 10 starts, the less than 10 career starts is 30 guys. 
So I'm not going to count the rookies as less than 10 starts because it'd be stupid. They're rookies. But if you add the rookies to the other group, guys that have been in the league more than a year, gone through all the different transactions, practice squads, all this stuff, like you go through the history in our labs, you're like, man, that guy's been around. I don't even think he's ever thrown a pass. That's 43 quarterbacks taking up almost half of the roster spots right now that have started less than 10 games or have never played because of rookies. That's, that's still crazy to me. I know I bring it up, but I don't know how you'd ever develop depth at this position when you never develop depth at the position. And in life, new is always more valuable than the same, right? I'm not even talking about new being more valuable than old. New is more valuable than the same. Think about what some of these young dudes go through at this position. They get drafted late. They make the team. Like, hey, we're going to give that rook a look. He never takes any snaps with the first team, never plays in a game. And two years later, he gets replaced by the kid from Western Kentucky that's like the same guy as him. So to defer to the teams that make the decision, because I don't like when guys sitting in my chair think everybody that's making roster decisions is a fucking idiot because it's just not true. You know, whenever a team is bad with draft picks, like, man, those guys are all so stupid. You're like, all right, look, let's defer to them a little bit. They're the one with the quarterback who's in the room for maybe two years. He's in all the meetings. They see him around the team. There's a chance they also know, hey, it's not going to work out. Now, granted, he may never have gotten a chance to have it work out, but I'll, I'll allow it, right? I'll defer to the guys that are walking around with him, prepping with him for two straight years. But the problem, the whole point that I've always tried to make is that they may not really even know either. I know I don't, but they might not. And they might just say, you know what? We used the pick on him. There wasn't anything that wowed us. No one got hurt enough where he ever got a real opportunity. Yeah, I was just bringing another guy. Because if even if we're not sure, we may think we know this guy will never be a guy. But the guy we haven't had in here that hasn't been in the meetings, that hasn't run through any of the practice stuff, we don't know anything about him because we just don't know. We've never had him around. So he now is more valuable. Again, new is more valuable than the same. I added in the over 50 club, there are seven quarterbacks that are backups as of right now that have over 50 starts. Seven seems low. Who are they? Tyrod Taylor, Mitch Trubisky, Case Keenum, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold. I feel like. Uh, and Marcus Mariota. Dalton is the OG, 162 starts. Jameis has got 80. Darnold's got 55. Tyrod's got 53. Mariota's got 74. And uh, Trubisky's got 55. And we know their stories. For the most part, Mitch a high pick. Mariota a high pick. Tyrod, really nice college career. Dalton's a first-rounder. Jameis is number one overall. Darnold was going to fix the Jets. They've had two guys in that were going to fix the Jets that did not fix the Jets. So maybe they're good enough. Keenum, I was looking at it. I was like, how many? I was As I did each of these, I was trying to guess how many starts a guy would have. And Keenum at 64 felt low. And then you think about it, you're like, well, he had the Vikings year. And then Denver brought him in because they thought he was going to at least be average. Because if Denver had had somebody who was just slightly below average, they would have been a much better football team. Uh, because of how good that defense was for multiple years, but they just had disastrous play, and they tried to do a bunch of different things. Speaking of Trevor Simeon backing it up, 30 career starts behind Joe Burrow. Uh, some of these teams, it like I don't know what Cleveland was doing at the position, 
I expect Deshaun, there's no way he's going to be this bad again. Deshaun's there. They move on from Josh Dobbs, who sends him to Arizona, who Arizona doesn't want any experience there at all. Uh, they've got Dobbs, who's never really played. Clayton Toon, who's a rookie. Driscoll and Blau, who's combined for 18 career starts. Because, again, they're all waiting on Murray. Maybe they're tanking. But, you know, Dorian Thomas-Robinson, the UCLA quarterback, who's a really good college quarterback, I'd be shocked if he's a long-term starter. I don't know if he'll ever get the opportunity, especially with the amount of money that they paid Watson. But now he's already penciled in as the backup. And behind him is Kellen Mond, who I never quite figured out either, who has zero career starts as well. I mean, some of these teams are ridiculous. Tua, we don't even know if he's going to make it through the season. Career combined starts behind him. Mike White, who maybe we all kind of like, and then playoff hero, even though in a loss, Skylar Thompson. That's nine. New England's got Mac Jones, who, you know, I, I don't know that they haven't done him any favors, but I just have a hard time believing Mac Jones is still the starter for the Pats in five years, uh, maybe two. But behind him, Bailey Zappi and then Malik Cunningham, who's wowing everybody in the preseason. That's two combined career starts. I mean, some of these teams just don't care about the lack of experience behind him everywhere you know granted if you look at what houston was doing with cj stroud naming him naming him the week one starter uh davis mills behind him with 26 starts you know who looked like maybe a, an emergency starter than keenum as we mentioned as well but this entire sheet of all these backups is littered littered with guys that have never played and they're hanging on a roster spot which leads to another point it's why i'm never going to be sympathetic about the running back argument all right I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it from them. And I don't really want to hear it for like, hey, all my content's super pro player and I think everybody should get paid and just ignore the fact that there are negotiations that take place in the real world. Uh, the running back argument is is flawed. It's, it's borderline fraudulent at times because nobody gives a shit about the 13 quarterbacks who just lost their jobs that maybe never even got to throw a football in a game. I mean, at least the running backs get carries even with the first team. There's a good chance if you're a running back, you get to play special teams and prove your worth. If you're a running back, there's a good chance you get a handful of carries in an actual game. Most of these quarterbacks you're talking about, they don't even get to throw a real pass, and then they're told they can't do the job anymore at 24 years old. Nobody cares about those guys. The running back argument about, was about one thing and one thing only. A handful of the guys at the very top weren't getting paid anymore because the position is not as valuable as it used to be. The receiver lifespan is the same as the running back. And the reason you never hear about that number anymore and people falling for it is because the receivers at the top end are still getting paid premier money. The running back argument, again, is about a handful of guys. These quarterbacks get tossed aside when none of us have any idea if they could ever actually start and they get replaced by the next guys that are all going to be cut over and over and over again. The league, and maybe, the, I, look, I don't know if they're doing it wrong. It just feels wrong because we're entering a season where I could argue there's 11 or 12 teams that are going to be changing their quarterbacks at the position. We know how hard that position is to play. We know once you go from college to the pros, it's completely different. The pros have done a better job of trying to make that transition a little easier, but usually that's only for the top guy that they've invested big resources into. But I can't help, especially, look, I didn't play it. I don't know it as well as, as the guys that did. But I can't think that this is the way to build any kind of chance at a position when it looks like the teams are just like, hey, as long as he's new, that's better than the alternative. And then they never get developed. So enjoy it, folks. 
that have a starter that you can pencil in for 10 years and you're never going to have to worry about who these guys are at number two and number three. Get ready for NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Okay, I've been looking at some of the early numbers here. We were talking about Kansas City uh, and Detroit, knowing that everybody's kind of loving Detroit here to begin. Super Bowl odds uh, as we get close to the start of the season. Top three, Chiefs, Eagles, Bills, then Cincinnati, San Francisco, Dallas, Baltimore, the Jets. The Jets have the eighth best Super Bowl odds right now to win the entire thing, which then speaks to the rest of the AFC East because after that, you have Miami in the 11th spot. So the Bills are third, Jets eighth, Miami 11th. The New England Patriots are plus 6,000 to win the Super Bowl, 25th out of 32 teams. You don't see that a lot. Not used to seeing that very often. Uh, speaking of the Pats, the reason I bring this up, not because I like the Pats, but looking at the odds, that Eagles line is such a sucker, but has to be, right? All the public money is going to be on the Eagles laying four and a half at New England. Later Sunday window, is New England really going to hang with Philadelphia week one? Especially Belichick, too, who usually will tell you September is kind of when you're still figuring out who you are. Philly has a pretty good idea of who they are. And if anything, we look at last year and feel like Hertz is going to be even better, right? So New England feels like it should be plus seven. And then as soon as you see plus four and a half, you're like, okay, instead of going, yeah, I'll <laughs> give me the Eagles minus four and a half. You just feel like an idiot as soon as you do it. Because you know that your brother-in-law who doesn't want to stay with you in the hotel is going to be laying the four and a half. Uh, so a couple different things there to track, and we'll see how it goes when we get closer to week one. Back to the read. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. NFL Sunday ticket offer ends 9-18-23. No refunds. Terms and embargoes apply. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV. YouTube TV base plan required to watch YouTube TV. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use excluded. As you get ramped up for the start of the college football season and trying to figure out where your favorite school is going to be playing, um, it's my least favorite topic. It's conference realignment. And Chris Vanini, The Athletic, has been terrific on this story for a while. Senior writer, college football, he joins us now. Uh, let's start with, you know, despite everything that's gone on, whether it's Texas and Oklahoma, the SEC, USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, the real domino of dismantling this and, and leading to the current level of chaos that we're at right now is the Oregon kind of Washington piece. What can you tell us, just to remind everybody of like, new commissioner for the Pac-12, feels like he's close on a couple of television options. We know the TV part of it for the Pac-12 has been a disaster for many years. What happened? What, what did they do wrong to now look like a conference that has uh, an endangered species attachment to it? Yeah, it really starts, I think, back in 2021, summer after the Texas-Oklahoma news dropped, because at that point, the Big 12 was the conference in uh, con about to blow up, could be torn apart, didn't know what was going to happen to it. And the Pac-12 
had the option to grab some of those Big 12 schools. They could have grabbed TCU, Texas Tech, some schools like that. Conference opted not to do it. The presidents didn't want to do it. It was later reported that USC was one of the schools leading the charge against Pac-12 expansion in 2021. 2022 comes around and USC and UCLA decide they're going to jump to the Big Ten. And so now the Pac-12 is in a weird spot where they have to get going on their new TV deal with only 10 teams, and they don't want to add anybody until they do that TV deal first. So last about a year ago this time, or last fall, they start their negotiations. And ESPN comes with a deal. It offers them about $30 million per school in general. And the conference says, no, we think we're more like the Big Ten. The SEC should be up in that $40, 50000000 million per school range. And ESPN just kind of was like, absolutely not. You're not that. And so the Big 12 decides, hey, we'll take $30 million per school. We'll jump in and do that. And they jump in line. They get ESPN and Fox on board. And then the Pac-12 spends the next almost year trying to figure something out. They're, they're Apple, Amazon, Fox, CW, Ion TV, all these different things that are thrown out there. And ultimately, the best deal that they can put forward to the teams after Colorado leaves a couple weeks ago is an all-Apple deal. And for everybody else, for eight of the 10 schools, it was good enough. But it wasn't good enough for Oregon and Washington. They go back to the Big Ten. Is there anything you guys can do to get us in there? We'll take a discount. We'll do anything. Fox eventually ponies up enough money for the Big Ten to take Oregon and Washington, and then the whole thing falls apart. The Big 12 takes a bunch of schools, and now the conference is about to die. Right, and part of the understanding there, too, is the newer members joining some of these conferences that are far more established. And we're really talking about two here in the SEC and the Big Ten is that they're willing. It's almost like expansion in the NBA where you're not getting a full TV rights cut your first couple years in. You know, it's all depending on what their expansion fees. Is. I mean, it's just moving numbers around. But right. Basically, US, or, yeah. go ahead. USC and UCLA will be full members when they right. join the Big Ten. Oregon and Washington will not. The four Pac-12 schools joining the Big 12, they will be full members. But the schools that joined this year, Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, Houston, are not. So it's, it's, it's happening in like every conference now where not everybody's getting the same amount of money just because they were so desperate to get in. It reminds me a bit, and I was still at ESPN and you know, look, um, just because I worked there, it wasn't like I was a part of like understanding what was going on. You know, Burke Magnus is one of my favorite guys I've ever interacted with there. I remember I'm like, hey, look, I'm on the air 15 hours a week. Can you give me a heads up of like, just so I don't sound like an idiot? You know, because we had some reporters going on TV, just getting it totally wrong when the people who actually knew what was going on with the Big 12 I mean, you could argue back then ESPN saved that version of the Big 12. And we had reporters going on getting stuff wrong because, let's face it, there was far more on the line of getting these TV deals done than it was making sure that your five-minute hit on SportsCenter was accurate. And I reached out to Burke, and Burke was like, you know, I appreciate the inquiry. And he was really nice about it. I think he even respected the question, but at the same time, I was like, dude, you're good luck on your B block, but... (laughs) You know, we're I'm dealing with every one of these schools and trying to figure out a package that makes sense for us financially and, and, you know, helps another conference survive. And, you know, prior to that, the Big East, it felt a lot like that's what the Pac-12 did is years ago. The Big East was like, that's not good enough for us. ESPN's like, yeah, it kind of is. 
And they're like, we can do better. And it's like, no, you can't. And it's and it's tough if you're some of these amazing programs that have had a really good run. Oregon, certainly one of them. Washington has flirted with some big time stuff as well. And you're like, well, we shouldn't be making that much less than these other programs that are located geographically differently. And, you know, that's the scary thing. And it, it, I'm trying not to cowherd this analogy, but it's a bit like real estate in certain markets the last three years that have blown up post and during the pandemic, like all these yeah. retreats in these mountain areas where it's like they couldn't list the property high enough. They just couldn't. And if you look at it now, it finally got to a point where it's like, okay, that's too high. You've listed it too high. And I think these schools felt like for the longest time, there was never a price that was too high for the television companies. And clearly, we've been in a reset of what that market is for a couple of years. And the Pac-12 was the one that completely misjudged it again. Yeah. And, and that's a conference that has a group of presidents who are not keen on athletics the same way that everybody else is. They don't treat it like a business, like the SEC, like the Big Ten do. It's not as cutthroat. The academic standards are extremely high there. They didn't want to expand for the longest time because they didn't want to bring in schools with lesser academics, your Boise States, your BYUs for religious reasons and stuff like that. But the pac didn't realize you need bodies at this point because you are going to lose members. When the Big 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma, Big 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma, it immediately backfilled with UCF, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati. The Pac-12 loses USC and UCLA. They don't do that. They could have added SMU and San Diego State uh, if they wanted to, but the conference didn't want to do it like that. They wanted to do the TV deal first, much to the confusion of all sorts of media consultants I talked to. Like, you want to have those bodies in case you lose a couple more schools. And they didn't, and now they're down to four, possibly two. It's it's pretty much done at this point. Okay, here's something else that you've been on now, and and I I looked at it. And I was like, I don't know, but if we look at realignment in the present version of it, um, you don't even think we're close to being done. Like, if it's a four phase plan, are we are we just in phase two? Are we getting even closer to the idea that it's going to be some two versions of the Big Ten and the SEC, and they may take Florida State and Clemson down south and drop some of the? You know, I was reading a Vandy article the other day. It's like, hey, we're a charter member. We're a charter member. It's like. None of it matters anymore. None of the rules seem to matter anymore, other than a couple of the geographical states like Arizona is saying we have to stay together, uh, which is nice in theory. But I just wonder how ugly this is going to get because I hate it. Yeah, if the ACC adds Stanford and Cal this week, depending on when you're listening to it, it may or may not have happened by now. It may it should, I think, die down for like five years. Because when 2030 comes around, the Big Ten deal is up again. The SEC deal is up again a little bit after that. The ACC will be closer to its 2036 time when it comes up. And that's when you could see the next big explosion of of something going on. I mean, we've got Florida State right now publicly saying, like, we don't make enough money in this conference, in the ACC, and we need to get out. Like That that is, they're not being coy about what they want to do because they're thinking we can't be 20, 30, 40 million dollars behind the Big Ten and the SEC if we want to compete for national championships. And that's the spot that the ACC finds itself in. You have Florida State and Clemson, maybe Miami, North Carolina, some of these schools that feel like they need to be in, in that top tier. And so if, if the funny, the weird thing about the Pac-12's demise is that we kept hearing in the days leading up to it, the Big Ten doesn't want to be the one to deliver the death blow. The Big Ten really doesn't want to, you know, look like it tore apart the Pac-12 conference. 
And then Fox comes in with enough money for Oregon and Washington. And the Big Ten does exactly that. Like it is ruthless now. A year, a couple of years ago, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 uh, created what was called the Alliance, an agreement. Yeah, we love the Alliance here. An agreement that there w- that was not in writing that they were going to basically work together and not poach each other. And then a year later, USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. Like it's 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 turned into a rootless business, and I am worried very much about consolidation at some point. That's what conference realignment is. It's consolidation. The SEC and the Big Ten now have more than half of the Power Five schools. And so at some point in the future, at what point does Ohio State say, you know what, Indiana doesn't deserve to make as much money from the conference as we do. When does, when does you know, Alabama say, you know, Vandy doesn't deserve to make the same amount of money we do from this television deal? And that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be kicked out because you have to get a certain number of votes and that that's a whole thing. But the idea of breaking away either from a conference or from the NCAA or something could be more on the table. I think about the Premier League when you had those top soccer teams in England, they were tired of having to follow the same rules as the fifth tier team, you know, and so they broke off, created the Premier League, became a new top tier type of thing. And so it could be SEC and Big Ten schools leaving the conference to do something else uh, on their own. And when, when and if, I guess, college football players need to be paid or become employees if one of the courts rules on this, then the money is going to become even more important and you're going to have schools that can pay players and schools that can't. And that's when you start to get more and more of a divide in this stuff. So it's possible it could stay cool for a bit because the TV deals were just signed. But the next time they come around in five, six, seven years, there could be another monumental change. Yeah, like, look, I'm all for free market. I'm all for, you know, the obviously there's there's downsides to any structure that you'd want to have in your government uh, economically. But I also think there becomes a line where it's, you know, the sport that I love as much as any of them. I like it as much as the NBA. And I've said this before, but maybe I'm a little too romantic about it. But I like that Pac-12 games look like Pac-12 games. I like that Big 12 games look like Big 12 games. And every conference you can turn it on. And granted, if you know the teams, you know the teams. But like you just knew. And um, it feels a little recency bias with some of the stuff like i think stanford five years ago people are fired up to adam yeah and now they have a bad run the david shaw exit happens and now all of a sudden it's like stanford stanford can't find a home now granted you're right on the school side between stanford and cal we're not talking about people that are prioritizing football the same way they are at mississippi state and in alabama um and you know look if you're going to compete in this world you, you can't you can't start prioritizing the wrong things because ultimately this is the cash cow. So, you know, when I think about the consolidation of all of it, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think Vandy should make as much as Alabama. I don't think Rutgers should make as much as some of these other big 10 schools. It's a joke, but I don't think the, the Hornets should make as much as the Lakers in the national TV deal. But if you don't have these other pieces in play, then you kind of start to destroy the product. Like, what if you applied the same free market principles that you're applying in college football that people argue that this is just the way of the world? What if you did it to the pro leagues? What if you say, you know what, the Yankees and Red Sox, they're way too popular. They shouldn't be in a division with Tampa, so they should be able to go somewhere else. I mean, maybe some people would still agree with that. Right. But I, whatever that line is where you're like, hey, this doesn't make any fucking sense anymore. We're, we, we've smashed through it. And the other part that I fear too is, and they'll have to figure this all out with the playoff expansion and everything else is, you know, there's going to be really good teams that have four losses. 
And then there's going to yeah. be some other leftover conference that's arguing about their 11-1 team that somehow we're supposed to take seriously. And I'm not trying to like dump on Boise State retroactively. They proved they could play with anybody in one game, but they never proved to me that they could play that kind of schedule for 12 straight weeks because the bottom half of the conferences that they were in, you're like, give me a break. So now we're going to open up this whole other part of this argument where you've got these other schools going, well, look at our record and we're still like a power four or whatever this, this ultimate. Like, it actually is going to be really shitty for the fans when you have a really good team, if in the former structure where you might be playing for a national championship and instead you have four losses because you're in the same conferences, Florida State, Clemson, LSU, and Alabama, and Texas and Oklahoma. To, to, to your first point about the NBA and, and, and sharing revenue among these teams, the, the, the leaders in college sports need to at some point realize that they are business partners and not just competitors. The problem is college sports has never had a single entity for everyone. You know, each conference does its own thing. Basically, since the 1984 Supreme Court case, NCAA versus Board of Regents, which said that the NCAA can't uh, limit the TV deals, that conferences and, and teams can make their own TV deals. And the lawyer who was for that and, and, and led it to happen, the guy who led the case, said, told NBC recently, I may have screwed up college football. And I didn't know it at the time because that's what led to the conferences getting all these all this power, all this money, and making their own decisions separate from other conferences. And to the last point about the playoff, it's not the Boise States that I wonder about. It's the, what happens when you have a second-place team in the ACC compared to a fourth or fifth-place team in the SEC or Big Ten? Because the SEC and the Big Ten are now getting so big, you've taken a conference championship off the board. 12 of those schools that were in the Pac-12 that's one less conference championship for them to go to now. Now you're going to have more schools that are disappointed if they don't win their conference championship and when they have a, a playoff spot coming up. I want It has not been thrown out there at all. This is just completely me speculating. But I thought about it this week that realignment and the consolidation of schools in the SEC and the Big Ten is going to lead to more disappointed schools in those conferences that perhaps the playoff does expand again to 16 or to something more because what happens when the SEC gets four teams in and it felt like it should have had six you know like that that that's the kind of thing that I'm starting to wonder about more down the road yeah right because you you eliminate like the geographical balance that we all grew up with where you're like hey I wonder if Bradford and Oklahoma can hang with Tebow in Florida you know like that mm -hmm. was something you get really excited about now they're gonna play each other before then and then maybe play each other in a conference championship game and then they get matched up in the playoff and you're kind of like all right i don't really know what it means anymore because they're supposedly identifying as the same conference and then it eliminates you know when mississippi state's number one in the country and dak rolls in and granted you know alabama put it on him but those special years that don't happen very often for the lesser programs where you're hanging in at the very end, wondering if you're going to win your division. And now you may not even be in that conference anymore. And so to, to, there's, there's the, all of these point, things yeah. as a fan. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Like right there. Like if you're a Purdue fan, you just won the big 10 West last year. Now, next year, divisions are gone and you've added USC, <laughs> UCLA, Oregon, Washington. All above you, like you've just gone down several pegs and you're probably not going to play for the Big Ten Championship. I don't think that's good for fans in the long term. 
No, it isn't good. And it makes me, honestly, Chris, it's making me root against something that I love dearly, which doesn't, I don't know how often I can go back in my life and say, when did you want something to fail that you cared about so much? And that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, I get it. It's all about the money. I don't need to hear it. I understand it. I have the internet too. But I really think this is the first part of like a breaking point of of basically telling all of the customers that, you know, we don't really give a shit about you. And long term, I don't know how anyone could argue that that's a good business practice. What, what it is is going for the casual fan. This is what this is the big bet on the networks. The reason they're going all big on the big conferences and realignment and Oregon State and Washington State are getting left behind and more schools could be like get left behind for. They're aiming for that NFL fan in New York City who when Ohio State USC is on, they go, "Oh, I'll watch that. I'll, I'll catch a little bit of that." As opposed to the Washington State fan who grew up in, in the eastern side of the state and they've been going to the games for a long time because there's just more of those casual fans. This is a push toward casual fans, consolidation of the big brands and the diehards who love the, the second tier, third tier, fourth tier schools are going to get left behind. Washington State put a ton of money into a lot of facilities in recent years and now they're about to make like $20, $30 million less per year as a department because of that. And they have to figure out some way to, to, to help pay that off now because everybody thought we were going in it together. And now you've got everybody just dumping people off to the side all for a general fan. You want more Ohio State, Oregon games? We'll give you that. You want more Florida, Oklahoma games? We'll give you that. But at what cost? You know, at what cost does that mean to the fans? What cost does that mean to if you're not a fan of those top 20 schools, like where do you, are you worried about your future? I think you are. I think every administrators at all these schools are because they don't want to be the next Washington state. now. Well, you're absolutely right about the casual, you know, the secondary, the tertiary, tertiary fan that you're just going, okay, how do we get them to pay attention? And maybe it's with more of these marquee matchups. Um, and look, hockey fans can tell you like straight up, like they know they have the tier one fan, no matter what they do. You know, no matter what they do, they're going to stick around. And maybe that's the bet. So I'm not pretending that I know that I'm right. But I've always felt like as somebody that, you know, had to talk about it every single week for, you know, 20 years, the NFL fan looks down on college football. The guy that's chanting J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 like a lot of those guys think college football sucks. Mm-hmm. And... They root against any college coach that comes into the NFL. They get way more down on the college guy that comes in and fails than just the coordinator that fails on the next step. There's like this weird pride that the NFL, the NFL only fan has where I don't know if you're convincing him to completely change his viewing habits because you have these marquee matchups. And by the way, if you weren't watching some version of Ohio State, USC, or Texas and Alabama now, why are you going to watch it when it's repackaged and they're all in the same conferences? Because the other thing that you're taking away from it is you're not, and granted, most of these games happen at the beginning of the year, but you liked this team coming from a different part of the country to face the other one to see whose style of football held up. And now the, the style differential, like it, it just does, it's not going to be the same thing. So if that's the bet, maybe they're right. Again, I'm not saying I know for a fact, 
but I think I have a pretty good gauge on how hardcore NFL f- fan feels about Saturdays because they kind of shit on it all the time. Right. So, the, the, look, the NFL is the most brilliant set up sports league in maybe the world. I mean, the, the way they, the way they set up the calendar, the drama, the characters, they, it's got it all. We don't, in college football, like we don't talk about spring football very much anymore because that's now NFL draft season. Like because the calendar, yeah, has not changed. nationally. I mean, there's yeah, local yeah. people listening to this right now, but for the most part, nationally, nobody, right. people are not paying attention. If it's and like, like, like the weekly college football show on ESPN that's often delegated to ESPN two now because there's a weekly, a daily NBA show, NFL show, and college football on the national landscape has kind of taken a back seat. I do think if you look at the numbers, it's still the second most popular sport in the country. Right. It's just so regionalized. Uh, and it always has been. And so it's hard for it to become national. I was thinking, like, the Johnny Manziel Netflix documentary comes out. That dude was everywhere. And college football has not had that, really, since then. Baker Mayfield a little bit, but, like, a star who breaks through, who's in college that the casual fan is going to want to see. Caleb Williams should be everywhere. This dude's going to be the number one pick. He just won the Heisman. He's incredible to watch. He should. We should be seeing him everywhere. And instead, their first game of the season is on Pac-12 Network, which I don't even get. So, like, college football does have this problem where it needs to create characters and storylines and interest for casual fans. The problem is the coaches kind of take up all that attention and not the players. That's why I think Deion Sanders in college football is ultimately a good thing because a lot more people are going to be paying attention to it because of that. But it is a spot where, like, look, You'll get more viewers if you have more Oregon State, oh, I'm sorry, Oregon, Ohio State games. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what they're trying to get, an NFL junior, an NFL light type of, of thing. I just don't know if NFL fans are really going to care that much. I'm actually glad you said Oregon State because I feel terrible for them. You know? Yes. I've been to Corvallis, probably won't go again. Um, and now you're just being told like this school or that stadium is in the middle of it and it's a rough town, and all the transfers over the years that came in, and then every few years they'd have this run, and you're like, this is awesome, and then the Civil War against Oregon, you're telling that entire fan base, like, nah, fuck it. Sorry. They could be good this year. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Right, they're ranked. I mean, Washington State's another one where, you know, the Ryan Leaf year run to the Rose Bowl, like, that's the stuff that I'm going to miss, and I don't even care. Like, there's no emotional. I've never rooted for any of those teams, right? And I cannot help, and I could be totally wrong here. I could be totally wrong, but I can't help but think all the short-term gains are going to cause some real long-term damage to this product. I I think so, too. I I think about, and a lot of these things are going to be decisions made by people who are not in charge right now, but I just think like there's probably some executive who says, hey, that Iowa State fan, we need to turn his kid into an Alabama fan. Or that that Washington State fan, we need to turn the next generation. He needs to be a, an Oregon fan or a Washington fan, and 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 just because to consolidate those fans, because brands go beyond borders, they go beyond state borders, beyond country borders. You want you want to be like the NFL, where it doesn't matter what the team is, if it's an NFL team, people are into it. You know, like the NFL is such a juggernaut now. And but college football has just always been different. It's always been regional. There's quirks. There's unique things about it. We don't like the homogenization of college football. We like that everybody has a unique 
atmosphere, tradition, college town, all these types of things. I don't think we want it to feel like every school is the same and you can interchange them and we'll watch it or, or, or whatever. And look, my perspective is different because I was lucky enough. I think the final count was 60 something campuses that I've been to. And I'd explain it to other people and it'd be like, you roll in and granted, you know, some people take it more serious than other areas of the country, but you roll in and all that matters in this town that doesn't have any other major attraction is that Saturday night. And even though I'm all for the players getting as much money as they can, the NIL thing is all distraction because as long as it's not the school's money, just let somebody else pay these guys and we'll keep trying to keep it. The other problem that I have with, oh, we can't run the program on this much money. It's like, well, because you fucking spend it all because you spend it all. As soon as you get it, I mean, I remember one time, like another cow herd for you, but it was like the first time I was going to make a hundred thousand dollars in my life. And I told my dad, like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. I'm going to save all this money. He's like, no, you're not. You're going to get a new car. You're going to go on two nice vacations. You're going to upgrade your furniture and you're going to have no savings because it's going to be the first time you finally felt like you could pay your bills and treat yourself. And I was like, Ooh, stung a little bit. And guess what? He was a hundred percent right. And I think, you know, Football programs, universities are just versions of the of the guy that's finally making a little bit money, a little bit of money. So when they cry about how they can't keep up with these other programs and it's this massive arm race, yes, it's true, but it's also they're incredibly inefficient with how much they spend. They update these practice facilities every couple of years because they're afraid that the rival down the street just added fucking bigger TV screens. I mean, all of it is stupid because they're finding a way to spend all of this extra money that blew up during what is. You know, I don't know if it's any kind of bubble for TV rights, but it's getting closer to like the point mm-hmm. that I made earlier. Whatever you thought the the limitless number was, like we've realized there's no longer a limitless part of this because yeah. the TV part of of the equation is all over the place and these people are trying to survive. So they spend you know, the money they a, spend the money because they have to spend the money because they're nonprofits most of these places. You know, like they can't hoard the money, so you gotta spend it somewhere. So you expand the coaching staff, you expand the nutrition staff, the recruiting staff, the administration. You've got a, Olympic sports coaches making three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars on a sport that loses money, so to speak. So, you know, like it's it, it, the 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 model is all effed up. And it's only a relatively new problem. There was a poll. Uh, Washington Post, I want to say like 10 years ago, it was something like only a third of, of Americans believe that players should be able to be paid. 10 years later, Sportico and Harris Poll did one. It's like two thirds of people believe players should be paid now because you go through enough years of seeing a new building pop up, of seeing a coach get $10 million to go away, and you realize there's kind of a lot of money around these places now. Maybe the players should probably get part of it. It's just that's the foundation of how everything has changed. It's because the money is blown up and they can't give it to the players. I imagine there's some people listening to this just going, hey, you know, especially to me being like, you know, you're showing your age here a bit. Um, I think I'm just showing my passion for it. You know, I'm showing my passion of what it meant to to look at different conferences and, and know what to expect. And then the unknown of like, oh boy, we've got this, you know, late season bowl game with these two things. And, you know, I'm not even going to get the bowl games anymore because uh, that would be a pointless argument. But what you're doing is you're telling the people in Ames, potentially, you're telling the people, um, maybe at one point, you know, you know, Nashville isn't exactly the hotbed, but like whatever the next phase of this is, where we realistically could be seeing these other schools where it's like, you know what, you're just not a big enough of a market. It doesn't matter. And your point was the right one out of all that we've talked about is that the reason it's not a free for all in the sports league is you need the league. The league needs to exist and you're all partners. And it does mean if you have a better brand that you're going to make the same on a split with a brand that's much lesser than you. But that's the deal. And I actually think it's okay. And I hope 
I hope we have in five to 10 years a moment where a bunch of the schools go, this was fucking stupid. And let's, let's get back to something that made some sense. And maybe it's, maybe I'm foolish to even think that that's going to happen, but you know what? It'll take, it'll take like an Ohio state or an Alabama to come in third place for like five or six years. If there's some super conference again, 20, say 2030 or whatever, there's some super conference and they have a run being like, Hey, we're really good. And now we're not even getting into our conference championship game. This is stupid. And maybe it goes back to some version of what it was. I don't know if it goes back, but I do think about like Oklahoma fans who are used to winning 10, 11 games every single year. What happens when they're winning eight games every year, nine games every year? Like, does that change? Like so much of the tradition, and the brand of a lot of these programs is winning a lot. And that's going to take years for fans to understand that, that they don't. Uh, it's it's not the way it was before. That you're not going to win 10, 11 games every year when you're in this super conference. So that's Oklahoma, be real quick, let me yeah. let me just jump in because Oklahoma is a perfect example of something that we haven't touched on. That Oklahoma stuff in the Big Twelve, that's over. It's not happening. It's not happening for that program. Like even when Oklahoma was down, and you look up at the end of the year and be like, oh, they went eleven and one. They won the conference again. Mm-hmm. That's just that's over for them. Yes. So have fun. You're going to have an extra big practice facility now with the extra money, but you're going to come in third more often than you come in first. Yeah, and, look, and, and in fairness, like the, the flip side of that, like I talked to Bob Stoops last year, earlier this year when he was with the XFL team and asked him about the SEC move and everything. And he says, look, we need better games in Norman. You know, like we don't play the Texas game there. We don't get that many great home games. We're going to have a lot more. We're going to sell out more seats and stuff like that. So like th- there is reasons for that. But at the same time, like, we're not getting Oklahoma, Oklahoma State anymore after this year. That Bedlam game that's in Stillwater this year, which is going to be a crazy environment. Like, it sucks. It sucks that we went like a decade without Texas, Texas A&M until we get them back again. Now, like, these are the things we're, we're losing. Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma. Like, just all these rivalry games that are going by the wayside that means something. Like, you could lose every game, but you win that one game and you're happy. You can talk trash to, to the fans. And, the regional point of this, the thing I always come back to when it comes to like the regional side of college football, when USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten, I'm, I went to Michigan State from Big Ten country. I ask a bunch of my friends, like, hey, what do you think about USC and the Big Ten? They're like, all right, cool. I've never talked to a USC fan in my life. You know, I, I, I go to work with Michigan fans, Ohio State fans, Purdue fans, and we, we kind of have that connection of, of a group of people in the same area. Now, when you're going cross country, you, you've got fans that are never going to interact with each other. And there's, you just have less of a connection to games when that happens. They're just a thing that happens on TV as opposed to something that means something more to that community. I think that's something that has made college far different than anything like in the NFL. Like Browns Bengals is not that, you know, but Michigan, Ohio State is that. And if you're in that game's not going away, but you want to have these things, these connections that matter. Yeah, look, just because of the ratings, but like to me, that's the biggest mistake ever. It's like, oh man, Titans Jags was fucking awesome last night. You're like, no, it wasn't. It was close. <laughs> yeah, it was close. Like it wasn't awesome. It wasn't an awesome game. I mean, it was funny last year. Like, what was that Denver game? Was it a Thursday night game? I don't know if it was Denver Indy. It was like the first time I've ever gone. Hey, I'm not going to watch any more of this. Like this game sucks. I'm going to turn it off and watch something else. I never, ever, ever do that. And I think sometimes, because then the next day, I'd be like, oh, look at the number. Like, I get it. I get it. But it wasn't better 
it wasn't better than something I saw when it's late in the season. And to your point, Purdue, like that mess of a Big Ten West tiebreak at the end. And you're like, wait, what are all the scenarios? And all those schools now, you're right. They've dropped down a tier. They've gotten bumped down four or five slots by all the other teams coming in. And, you know, I think you're just telling millions of fans around the country, like, hey, it's going to be different. You're really not going to have any chance if you're even lucky enough to be in this conference in five years. All right. I think we covered it. Go ahead. Go ahead. And and look, look, I I guess I'll end this in, in fairness to all that stuff. Like, Attendance was up last year in college football for the first time in a very long time. I think that was part of COVID and coming back and everything. TV ratings were up. TV ratings are probably going to be up again. Ultimately, if the numbers are there, if the money's there, that's where these places are going to go. But I think it's, I think college is supposed to, college sports, college football is always supposed to be about more than about money, more than about a TV rating. It's about a connection between a group of people. And I just, I don't want the sport to lose that. Yeah, we agree, man. Uh, Keep up the great work, and I don't look forward to your next article. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy, probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life Advice. The email address is lifeadvice at gmail.com. Back in the States. I'd say I feel refreshed, but I don't. I just don't know if the culture's for me here anymore, man. We have about a two and a half hour travel pod that we're working on. We don't know if it eventually will be that long. It's fucking long. It felt a little repetitive at times. (laughs) Do you know the final count on that, Kyle? I think uh, 147 minutes is where I was at when I was. I was bouncing it before the pod today, and then I I didn't actually have enough time. I thought like 15 minutes worth of exporting time was enough. It wasn't. So maybe there will be a cut or two. I don't know. I think you're a final cut on that, but... (laughs) Have you? Yeah. 
that we were we went Oppenheimer on this one. Sarudi, did you give any of it a listen yet? I've caught the first. Uh, I think the first file you sent to me. You know, I, I've got some catching up to do. God, it seems like Kyle's all over it. it. Like he said it in like five installments, and by halfway through, he's like, "I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this anymore." And I was like, "This oh, might all right. suck." Yeah. And then the next day, he was like, "Here's day seven. And I was like, "Okay, all right, we're back on." Yeah, I had a day. I was like, "I don't know if this is good enough. It's kind of long, and you know, oh hey, you went to another place, got it, and this is old." And but then I felt like I finished really strong, so then I liked it again. Sarudi, we did all this on the phone yesterday. I've like. I've caught up for lost time, fucking the amount of times I've called Shruti since I've been back. So um, I think before we get to the life advice, we got to check in, man. Frolic Group and Scam are all over the news. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, it's been, uh, he's he's got $500 or $500,000 bail. Uh, he's, I think there's been a couple more charges on him again, you know, since we last spoke about him. Uh, and the really hard part is Frolic Group has been, is attached to the Pantages Theater and their power has been out since like Friday last week. So, I mean, people are reeling. We got to get this stuff, you know, that's kind of the town square. We have to exchange ideas about this thoughts. And I think today's the first day that it's opening uh, since. Wait, so Frolic even Room's been closed? You guys haven't had power, so you haven't been able to go? When's the last time you didn't go to the Frolic Room for five straight days? Uh, probably since Never? I was in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, and, and we've started going other places. We sit down and we're like, this doesn't feel right. You know, we've, you know. We've, we've like connected at some other places. I feel like we're like the sons of liberty, like trying to find a new like headquarters or something. And it's just not right. Everything, everything doesn't feel right. So, to, so today I think is the, is the last day. And they kept saying they like their, their Instagram has like been sending updates and they're like trying to send the positive update. Like, Oh, I think we're going to have a uh, power tomorrow. We're good. And then, so twice now they've said the frolic room will be open tomorrow. And then the same, the next day they'd be like, sorry, frolic rooms closed again. So it's just a lot of, it's a roller coaster of emotions and I'm going to try to get in there today. Wow. Uh, I love the town square analogy, you know, just yield friar and, you know, just it's a cultural exchange, you know, right. I mean, that's really how we're different. The animals exchanging ideas and believing gossip. Think about it. The root yeah, of it wasn't is. mentioned in the next, uh, in this latest article of the LA times too. Also wasn't mentioned, but that's okay. Wait, the frolic room was not mentioned. Did they? The frolic did they room feel- was not mentioned. I just wasn't mentioned, and you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying like I cracked a case here, but I don't know. I was definitely. If they made a documentary about it, I think there would be at least a clip of this podcast. But whatever. Yeah, that feels did like you a work huge on Mike and Mike. Because that was the thing. <laughs> if you didn't work on Mike and Mike, you weren't going to be in the documentary. Wow. Okay. 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 When we used to do some of the ESPN docs, you'd be like, "What did you guys do?" You'd be like, "Oh, we made a." Doc about Vineyard High School football. Like, who'd you use? Like, oh, we used all the guys from Mike and Mike. Like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, if there's a frolic room scammer, that's made for Netflix. Everybody loves that scam stuff. It's easy to make. You just fucking keep showing like money next to a bar with like a wet glass stain and you just keep going back to that shot over and over again. It's like the World War II and color thing. I've seen that same plane go down <laughs> 1,000 times. It's like, Pitch oh, it to Bill. Goes. Pitch it to Bill, Ringer Films, you know? Bill will just say no. Yeah. He's not gonna say he's not gonna say yes to that. I just don't think he would do it for you. Uh all right, let's get to some uh emails here. You guys ready to give some awesome to standard advice here? Bachelor right. party uh bachelor party etiquette is the older dude in the group, 31 years old. All right, so that means you're going with really <laughs> young guys. 61185. Jim stats are unremarkable and no basketball comp. Hey, just like me, coming back from Spain fucking wondering hey am i gonna have to ask for a spot today 
I hear you, buddy. No basketball comp, but I keep myself in pretty good shape and was a very good high school lacrosse player. Awesome. And I have a frame that would make you think I was a pretty good midfielder when in reality I'm slow as hell and play goalie. All right. So not the basketball comp we normally get, but a full, full-blown 24-7 breakdown of lats. My brother-in-law, my wife's brother, recently got engaged. And plans for his bachelor party are in the works. Planning on Charleston. Good call. Of no, he is 24. And all of the other guys that will be on the trip are 23 to 24 years old. I'm very close to my brother-in-law. I've known him since he was a kid. And we hang out pretty frequently and get along really well. I've met a few of the other guys along the way. But we don't know any of them that well. Current plan is an Airbnb for a condo or house in the area. There will be around 8 to 10 guys in total. Good size group. Good size group. My question, should I be a good soldier and stay at the Airbnb or should I spring for my own hotel room nearby? I'm looking forward to the weekend and I'm obviously planning on partaking in all the plans for the weekend. But at the same time, coming back to my own quiet king size bed around midnight or 1 a.m. sounds much more appealing than combating the spins and reflux in a bunk bed with music still playing at (laughs) three in the morning. This will be the first bachelor party for all the guys except for the groom when he went to mine. Myself. Oh, wow. So this is their first one. The first ones for us were shit shows. Yeah. Shit shows. Like a guy came out of a strip club bleeding once. We were like, I don't know, just get in the bus. We, we didn't know what was going on. Um, myself and one other guy. So I imagine they'll be coming in hot. I think that's fair to say, especially Friday night, as we all tend to do uh, in these sorts of scenarios. Right. When you're younger and actually when you're older, too, you usually fucking light the candle a little too hard on the first night. It's very rare, unless it's a college football Saturday where you just look around and be like, hey, you know what? Let's not have tomorrow be the living dead. I'm like, hey, great call. Um, a hotel will probably be a little more expensive. Yes, but I'd be willing to spend the extra money. Another piece of information that factors into my preference for a hotel. My wife and I have an infant at home. So if I'm going to be spending a weekend away, I figure I might as well take advantage of the time apart and be able to enjoy some peace and quiet at night. So what would you guys do in my situation? As a secondary question, if I were to stay in a hotel on my own for the weekend, how do I tactfully bring it up my brother-in-law and how much should I chip in for the Airbnb? My rationale should be to pay one third, one half of what the other guys are paying, excluding food and alcohol. No. Yeah. I was with you for such a long time. Um, although there may be a zero number too. So we'll, we'll get to this. Um, since I've been using the house for other portions of the weekend besides sleeping, pretty much all the other guys are just getting started in their post-grad jobs. Whereas I am more established in my career and don't want to be hanging these guys out to dry by not staying and not paying my share. Does that seem too generous, too cheap, or about right? Was thinking I would come by in the morning, at least one of the days with bagels, breakfast burritos, or something of that nature. Lastly, any general advice that you all may have about how to approach a bachelor party weekend being the older guy by a pretty good margin with a group that you don't know that well? By no means am I trying to fully integrate like the core uh, to become a core guy here into the group. But it would be nice for us all to have a fun time. It would make the wedding itself more fun if we had a good base from the bachelor party to build upon. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a really tough one. I know it can seem easy. Maybe you guys will think it's easy. Okay, fine. Because here's here's what I wouldn't want to happen. First of all, 31 to 24 isn't that big of a difference. I would treat a bachelor party at 31 like I was 30 or like I was 24. All right. So with my group of friends, 31 at a bachelor party, nobody be, you know, elder statesmen rolling through. Okay. Um, so you may be more mature. There's a pretty much hundred percent chance you were more mature at 31 than I was at 31. All right. So the thing you don't want to do though, 
even though I think the age gap isn't as extreme as you may think it is, but I'm kind of focusing on the 31 part on your end. But the first party, great tidbit there. They are going to be coming in red hot. The first couple weddings, the first couple bachelor parties for all of our guys when it was like mid-20s, those were fucking free-for-all. Certain guys weren't getting invited to the next one because of something they did the one before. <laughs> time out. One, there, was, there was one groom that like absolutely lost it and fucking everybody because there was a golf cart that was crashed. And we're like, dude, this is a massive overreaction. And he's like, no, this is you guys. I knew you were doing it. And we're like, no shit, we we're going to do it. Um, but the point is, I don't think the 31 to 24 thing is that big of a difference. What I would, as a 24 year old who doesn't know you, you know what I wouldn't want you to do? Be absolutely human torch the whole weekend either, because sometimes you'll have that. You'll have the older guy that's so fired up to relive it all that he's such a fucking mess the whole weekend that it actually is kind of like whatever. I mean, you're already dealing at a deficit. You're talking about eight, nine core guys. At this age. And so I don't think they're going to care if you're not at the Airbnb. They're not going to understand the kid thing. The parents that are listening right now, especially first time parents, the idea of waking up in your own hotel room, being able to sleep in a little bit on your own and not have to deal with parent duty for 48 hours. That's like, that's the best vacation you could ever fucking go on for the new parents that are listening right now. So I would, the finances is about the group. There's not a rule that works here perfectly. I think it's actually great that you're saying, hey, let me kick in a little. And by the way, you need to sell your brother-in-law on it first. So your brother-in-law is selling it to anyone who could have a potential problem with it. If there's eight to 10 guys that are getting it in the Airbnb, your sliver for the bunk bed isn't going to completely change their cost right. model. Okay. So that's the other thing. So it's I don't feel like this is you letting anybody down financially. You clearly want to stay in the hotel. And I think the most important part is if you're not down for the 3 a.m. Taylor Swift party. And you're going to be fucking miserable. Definitely don't stay there. And they may prefer you not being there. So I think you've got it mapped out. I think your instincts are really good here. Get your brother-in-law to sell it. Figure out the price ahead of time. Make sure he knows because there's always going to be one fucking guy that's like, oh, he was here like three days and he drank at the pool and he's not going to pay anything. And now I got to pay 112 instead of fucking 104. There's always going to be one of those fucking guys that fucks it up for everybody else. Just make sure your brother-in-law sells it on everybody. Um, because I think your headspace is clearly mature and in the right spot here because there's going to be some late night shit that you don't want to do. But I'm telling you, they probably don't want you there either, even if you're the greatest fucking guy of all time. But the non-core guy with the bachelor party deal, it's usually a recipe for disaster. Me, I love hanging out with older guys, so I would have loved you to be at my 24-year-old mm -hmm. bachelor party. I just love hanging out with older guys. Phrasing. That's what I like. Yeah. Um, is that did I say something weird? I said I love hanging out with older guys. No, did I no. not say that? I said I love no, older guys. Totally normal. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to see my you know 80 year old Vietnam vet. I haven't caught up with him in a, a couple weeks, so uh, I'm just ready for a new. You're story. salt of the earth. You're better yeah. than I am. We've already um, established this. Okay. Um, I think though, what you do, you still want it to seem like you're all in, even if you're not. So I mean, if like I said, if the price is 125 dollars for you to have one eighth of that or one tenth of that Airbnb, I still think you pay that. Unless like if it's if it's like under two hundred dollars, I still think you pay that because it's it, you you want it to seem like it's all cohesive, even if it's not. Like my brother did that when we had my bachelor party because he went and picked up his Russian girlfriend from like Texas and then drove from Florida to Texas and then drove up to my bachelor party in Ocean City, Maryland. And like, I mean, that was insane already. But he like they stayed together, so wait, he got wait, like. Wait, a, wait, wait, wait. What did he do? 
my brother goes to Florida State. <clears throat> he's married, Aaron married. He, thank God. He's dating this woman that he met in Mexico. She's a Russian. She's mm-hmm. 32. So we've been right. over this, right? So yeah. uh, we then love she it. went and picked her up in Texas, I imagine, at the border. And then uh, drove. he went drove from uh, Tallahassee to Texas and then drove from t- Texas to my bachelor party because this was like when college was letting So out. he, on his way to your bachelor party, he just made a quick stop in Texas from Florida <laughs> and then drove up to the Northeast. Insane stuff. The Insane Atlantic. Stuff. As Mid-Atlantic. a 20-year-old kid, I was like, I can't believe he did that. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even have known how to start that whole thing. There has so, to be a better way to have done that. There has to be a better yeah. way, but there just wasn't. I don't know. Maybe flights were not an option for her. Who knows? We're just not asking questions at this point. So uh, <laughs> I think, I think, um, so what, what he, but he was with us the whole time, although he, he was the youngest guy in the group versus the oldest, but he like got He's a hotel brother. or, yeah, it has to be accepted. Yes. Right. It, yeah. it was accepted, but like, he, but he made sure that he was always there, but also it wasn't like, well, I shouldn't pay for the, you know, cause like, like you're right. It was like $112. And he had a thing where he didn't want to be a part of this. So he just made it work for him, but still, you know, was exactly like everyone else in the in the party, which means he paid for stuff. I think he brought over like like eight pounds of fucking bacon, <laughs> like to throw in the fridge like <laughs> that nobody cooked. And then they left in the Airbnb. And I think they charged us for leaving like great, ba- like good, good wow. quality bacon in the freezer, whatever. Fuck you guys. But I just think like, I'm not even was, laughing w- about that anymore. I, by the way, so did your brother bring his girlfriend to your bachelor party and then not stay no, with he you guys? like stashed her yeah she he she, she was like stashed like i don't know 15 minutes away in some other like apartment and i only saw her because he drove me up uh to go get catch a flight in philly to get back uh when it was all done i the first time i met her was when everyone was clearing out of the airbnb and he was just like oh so he, i was like so you've been here the whole time huh she's like yes i was like okay <laughs> all right well nice to meet you um that's but I guess my, still. My, it was but. it was strange, and that we were in the car for you know a couple hours on the on the way to Philly, and not much was said. Uh, but she was she was there. She was at the wedding, and she was she was staying at my parents' house with him all summer. So we had a few conversations while I was back. Um, but I guess my whole point was that he just he made sure that like the the shit that was different for him was for him. He made sure everything he was like one of the guys and and right. And but he he's younger, and he's he's your brother, and he's that young, and everybody kind of has. Look, I always feel like there's one guy that's going to be mad about the math and all of this. Um, I think it to the emailer offering it up, figure out something that's fair, make the offer. You know, honestly, though, if it's 10 guys in an Airbnb, they should be able to be able to handle the the extra money that it's going to be for one guy deciding he doesn't want to be a full share. I mean, you could become a full share if you want. Some people would say, hey, that's the right thing to do. Other people would be like, hey, that's ridiculous. If you get in this hotel room and he's not staying there, he shouldn't have to be a full share guy. Uh but I think the most important thing is that you don't want to be there for the late night stuff. And my guess is the core guys won't care that you're not there. So that's the foundation of your answer. So Rudy? Yeah, there's probably a minute where he's like, somebody is at like one in the morning, like, where the fuck is Todd? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's got the hotel. And that'll be it. That'll be it. And then maybe you'll, you'll get like a, a comment the next day, but it's not going to ruin anything for sure. I, I got to be honest. I don't I don't love it. Uh, I was in this exact same scenario. Any of it. Any of it. I was in this exact same scenario. My brother-in-law got married. This was two summers ago. Two summers ago? Yeah. Or maybe last summer. Either way. I was in my... March has been so long this year. Who knows? I don't even know what year it is. I was 33, I think, at the time. They were all in their like mid to late 20s. So like kind of similar age gap. Not the same quite you know range, but the same number of years. I knew some of them didn't really know any others. I, I just kind of feel like it's a weird move to be the loner guy, even if you are the old, because I was the oldest guy there. I was kind of bummed, too, because 
his brother-in-law that you know on the other side was supposed to come and didn't come and he's older than me so i was like great now i'm the old guy at this bachelor party i think you gotta just suck it up dude like i don't i mean you're just kind of i just feel like it's a buzzkill if you are going to be like the guy that's doing his own thing for the whole weekend and it's going to be a like much this, bigger buzzkill when night two he's fucking so sick of everybody and he can't fall asleep but let me tell you dudes are but it's only cranking. two nights i went, right? I went to sleep, base, exactly right? i went to sleep at 9 a.m or 9 p.m the first night because we woke up at 4 a.m got a flight went down to charleston we were on isle of palms it was beautiful we got a big house um you know right kind of on not on the beach but like the street back from the beach and you know, the other thing, too, is like, can you just tell your your brother-in-law, like, hey, like, is there any situation where I can get my own room? Because I got my own room. And, if, and obviously, that's kind of a game changer. But like, we're talking houses in Charleston, like, they're going to be big. You've got a bunch of dudes. There's a good chance that there's going to be a, a room with a bunch of bunk beds. There's going to be, you know, probably the master that the that the, the groom is going to sleep in. There's like a decent chance you can get your own room. And I don't remember. I mean, listen, we had, I've been drinking all day, so I went to sleep pretty easily. Uh, both nights we were there. But like, I don't ever remember, like, being woken up by dudes raging. And they were having a good time late at night. I, I even partook in one of the nights, not all the nights. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's a weird buzz. Like, you're already putting off a bad vibe by showing up in the morning with bait. Like, you're just not a part of the crew. And I don't know. Maybe I I, I would just rather have the camaraderie. Yeah, you're not going to not everyone's going to be buddy buddy. But like, the whole point is like, you're there in this house. Everybody's hanging out. And like, the point of a bachelor party isn't so you can get some sleep because you have an infant. I just I don't like the vibes all around. I, I really don't. I think you got to just suck it up and go and see if you can get your right. own room. I think you're right. I think you, you guys might be first, right. Throw right. a little I mean, extra because you're going to spend way less on paying a little extra for the room than you would. The, it's not even about the money. Little, I know, yeah, but it sounds like it kind of is for this guy because he's asking about it. I, I just I just think you don't want to be like this. You're already the older guy outcast. You don't want to be the guy that isn't in the house. I I don't know. I, I don't I, like I, it. I wouldn't do what this guy's I like what he's suggesting he might do. But I like what I like what you're saying, bud. I think my friends are just meaner because I cannot imagine a scenario where we were all 24 and there'd be a 31 year old guy staying there and then being like, oh, it's been a, it's a little loud. Like the second he would do that, it would be over. I mean, we'd well, be like, how'd you get it? He just doesn't want to deal with that. Right. That's what he's saying. Like, I don't think he'd be like, could you guys like maybe fucking not like I think he would just be like, you know, this sucks. This is hell. I can't wait to go home. We wouldn't want him there. We wouldn't. <laughs> I don't so know. I think yeah, he's not 41, though. I, I don't know. Dude, it's you really, guys are he, still fun at 30. Exactly. He's like himself applying, out. I had a great time. I'm applying 24-year-old us to it. So, okay. Uh, Maybe. All right. You, you definitely got to ask the groom, by the way. Ask because, you know, first off, run it by him. If he's like, hey, man, like I was hoping we'd all be in the same house together, then then you have to stay in the same house. Um. Okay. Let's get to this one. It's quicker. Uh. Let's see. All right. Our man's checking in. 6'1", 160, 39 years old. No basketball comp because I suck. I put 225 up six times the other day in my basement. That's about all I've got going for me. That's the only thing? If that's the only thing, you're fucking winning at life, dude. Good for you. <laughs> my friends are thinking of a guy's trip in the next few years. We've all known each other since college and starting to turn 40. Almost all married with kids. The two options thrown out are an Alabama game or a waste management open. I like the idea of the football game, but we'd be terribly out of place uh, when it becomes abundantly clear we're neither college-aged nor in any way affiliated with Alabama. That's a completely irrelevant. I'm just telling you right now. Waste management looks fun, but also hectic. I'm not sure I'm trying to get in line at 4 a.m. just to watch people throw beer at the greens. Uh, look, I've been to both. I've been to Bama multiple times, uh, quite a few, and I've been to waste management two or three times. Um. Depends on what you want at waste management because there's like 
that group. And then there's like another group above that. And then there's an, and then you learn it's like these secret quests where there's an even better tier somewhere else. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be, I think, at the second best tier. And it's awesome. But we're also not running in at 4 a.m. with everybody else. But I would tell you that if you go on a non-Saturday Sunday, the move would be to maybe do the Thursday or do the Friday and then get the fuck out of there. That was the thing Van Pelt always told me. He's like, whenever you go to the golf tournament, one of the bigger ones, he's like, the very latest, go Saturday, then leave Saturday. Don't stay Sunday and then leave with everybody else because it's mayhem. So the scouting report would be to go it sounds like one day or maybe the Thursday into Friday or maybe Friday into Saturday. And then the good thing about waste management is you're leaving Phoenix. So you're going to get many more options for direct flights in and out of there. But the thing is, is it is a free for all, but it's also not like not everybody is walking around throwing up on each other. The fact that it's at a golf tournament on the PGA tour and you will see it every five to 10 minutes is kind of like still like, whoa, all right, that guy's out of his fucking mind. But because there's so much wandering and meandering, if you run for an awesome spot, like those people that do that are going to be so drunk later on, they're walking around getting beers, concession, the whole thing. So like nothing's better than the Masters because the Masters, you can show up in their seats that people run in and put their chair down at like Amen Corner and fucking have it perfect. But if they're not in their chairs, you can go sit in their chairs. And if they come back and you're in their chairs, everybody's very cordial about it. They tap you and go, hey, those are our chairs. And you're like, okay, cool. No problem. See you later. Thanks for letting us sit in them. And you're you're supposed to let people sit in your chairs when you're not there. Um, waste management, obviously, is not that. But because there's so much movement of all the different people, you're going to just be able to walk and find spots. You're not going to be so far. You're not going to be a thousand people deep because nobody ever moves. That crowd moves, baby. They move around. They want to see what's going on over there. They want to start talking to other people and meeting up with all these different people. So flights in, no problem depending on what you want to spend. But even if you're just walking the grounds the whole time, I wouldn't worry about it being so chaotic and I would go a little bit earlier. I, despite my love for LSU, would tell you that when they play Sweet Home Alabama at the beginning, Bryant-Denny Stadium, it is one of my favorite fucking moments in sports. It is incredible. But if you go to Bama on a not marquee game, which means it's harder tickets to get the marquee ones, when you go, they're so spoiled. Like when game day was there towards the end when I was still at ESPN, it, game day showing up to other campuses, they lose their minds. Bama was like, oh, there's game day. And they just keep <laughs> moving. So there's a very they like... Do this. They block off this whole area when yeah. game day comes, right? It's such a there's hat. a... Like they deserve to be... They, like they're, they're right to be spoiled, but they're fucking spoiled. So if it is not LSU, if it is not like, you know, again, depending on the cross match with Tennessee and then whoever they get slotted with, if you're not picking a game that looks like it's going to be special, which also means the tickets are going to be brutal, um, you can you can roll into that place and it's dead by the end of the second quarter because they're smashing somebody and the kids are like, now we want to go drink. Saban's even bitched about it in the past. The in-game stadium setup is on the higher end. Uh, I wouldn't put it up against LSU. I wouldn't put anything up against LSU. But it's still really, really good. And they've done this late light show. And look, I, I don't know. I think the last time I was there, I'm trying to think, it might have been three years ago. So, and if you're not from the area, the experiencing the culture will be something that you'll get there that you don't get at waste management. Because the culture part of Phoenix is like, hey, it's fucking hot. And like guys wear aggressively stitched jeans and seem to have super hot older women with them all the time. Like think about Miami Heat courtside guy. If he could invent town, he would invent Scottsdale. So Scottsdale has its own thing, you know, and if some of the guys aren't married, like you're never going to do better in your life as a single guy than being in Scottsdale. I don't know what the fuck they put in the water there. You know, Mastro's next thing you know, you're like 
who am I talking to? This is nuts. Uh, that's probably not going to happen for you at Galette's um, in Tuscaloosa. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a cultural thing of Southern football. If you don't have, like, if you get it, you get it. And it's one of my favorite things is, is learning about it and understanding it and identifying the different areas and how they're different, how they're the same and how they all think they're different from each other. And then me be not being from there. I'm almost like, yeah, I don't know if you guys are as different as you think you are, but they do. Maybe they are, maybe I'm wrong, but there'll be a moment of being in the South for Alabama football on a Saturday night. That is tough to replicate anywhere else. Uh, so if that's what you're going for an experience that you've never experienced before, fine. If you're looking for efficiency and a better hit rate on it, working out for you, I'd go waste management. That was a I long I, fucking answer. Jesus. I would choose I would choose the golf tournament, I think. Uh, as a guy, I mean, it might be easier to get to, to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. As a guy who just booked some uh, a flight to a college town, that sucks. Uh, and I What'd think, you book? Uh, I don't think I could say because it's not announced. But I just booked. Oh, a, we a, haven't. We, yeah. I thought we already announced this on. No, next week. Next week. Oh, next anyway. week I can announce where we're doing a show. Yes. All right. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that well, was where tough. you try to where we're going for the show, booking that travel is off the charts terrible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like right, some, great, of the, cool. some of the some of the stuff is that more. <laughs> no, I'm we're not even we're not even like, staying in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> you kind of end up. Ha- Wait. So I'm not staying in the city. I don't know what your deal is. Well, man. yeah. Like we're on a different email. We're on a like you said. There's different <laughs> tiers to this shit. I think we're in the tier where we're not staying in the city. Uh, I'm not sure what you're saying, but uh, anyway. we're staying in a city, but not not the city. No, the place we're, we're st- going, you more often than not have to go to another state. Correct. Yeah, that's um, we're in another state. <laughs> but I I was expecting that as the host of the show that I would get to stay in the city where the Elizabeth game was that up. night. It'd be all right. Yeah, I'd make a call right. though because I heard uh, it's pretty booked up already. So uh, no, they booked that stuff out years in advance but uh right. this one this one is one of the all-time complicated places to get to yeah so, okay great so i don't know like i said haven't done way too many college i'll tell you why you know, when, when you go then you'll know why we booked it there all right okay yeah. great. <laughs> great sorry it wasn't a direct flight um so but i'm just i think as far as like where you're trying to get guys on the same page or something like that i think you're right a phoenix would be way easier to to fly into um i mean i just i think uh, i think there's more kind of even just more to do, right? If you're like walking around a golf course for a couple of days. And what I'd like to say is, you know, as being in like a tier seven masters guy where I've really only go to the, um, to the beginning stuff Wednesday and Thursday, which we've already established is actually going to the masters Saruti. And, um, I think that that was super fun. And I think you're, I think the range of stuff that you can do outside of sitting in a seat and going to the, you know, concession stand and walking around a stadium. I think there's just more stuff to be done. And I, you know, Guys like to move around, so I would I would choose that. Um, I would definitely choose waste management. I think I would too, and only because you know, Ryan. Remember the only time I've been to LSU, I think, was when we went to LSU Alabama in Baton Rouge. Uh, I forget what year that was. Twenty. Was it, it was seen. It was Jalen Hurts, I believe, was Bama's quarterback, and it was. And here's the thing: the LSU scene was incredible, and I'm sure the same thing with Tuscaloosa. So that's what just why I'm comparing them. It was incredible. The pregame was incredible. The stadium's incredible. Night game it was awesome, but the game sucked. I think it was like seventeen nothing Alabama. LSU couldn't move the ball. That was an and awful game. It was just a terrible game, and yeah. like you risk that going to a Bama game, depending on who they're playing. 
And when you go to the waste management tour, like it's, I feel like, is it less, you would know, I guess, Ryan, is it, it's less about the golf. Like are people that into the actual tournament? Are they more than just like walking around, seeing people, you know, checking out different holes? Like they're not that concerned about the leaderboard, correct? Like I, I assume it's just like day experience. Whereas I feel like the Bama game is a little bit more like, you know, game dependent, uh, sport dependent. Whereas uh, my, I feel like sure. individually you can have more fun at the golf tournament. Yeah, that was the 17 game. It was awful. It was, that, that was a bad game. Um, I, I would imagine if you polled every person that's at Waste Management and asked them who was winning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, 10% might be too high. Hey, who's so, like, yeah, if, so um, if you're going to a great Bama game, and you know it might not end up being a great, but you're right, if it's Tennessee, if it's LSU or whoever they're playing this year, like, sure. But I don't know. There's a good chance that like Bama's going to blow out this team and it's going to be boring by halftime. Right, but when it's awesome, like it was in the overtime game against LSU, and that wasn't great for Bama fans, but like that's one of my favorite games I'll ever go to because it was just, you knew it was on the line. And then you end up getting the rematch in the national championship game. And I'll never forget leaving the stadium and be like, do not pick LSU in the national title game. They're not better than Alabama. And then I was in New Orleans for a few days. And as Chris Fowler put it, he's like, the voodoo just starts going because he's like, I picked them too. I was like, I can't believe I fucking picked them. I left, I left the stadium that night walking out of the tunnel, like, do not pick them if they play each other again. Do not pick them. And he's like, man, the voodoo, the voodoo will get you. And then he did some, then yeah. he did some tricep extensions with a Mick Ultra. Uh, all right. I think that covers it. It sounds like waste management around. It's more efficient. It's a better hit rate, but it is not peak Alabama on a Saturday night in SEC college. Well, if you've never done it, that to me would be the better experience, but it also depends like how much do you care about drinking? I mean, you can go to Alabama and not be drunk and have a blast. I don't know that you can walk around Scottsdale and not be shit faced. Mm. Uh, maybe. I mean, if you're super, super into golf, you might not even like it. But if there's a single guy really in your group, into the group, story, divorce, trying to figure it out. You know, he thinks he's DMing with somebody from OnlyFans right now. Send that guy to Scottsdale <laughs> and look for an efficiency for him. All right. There you go. Thanks to Kyle, as always, uh, in the mix. Saruti and Brian Waters for helping out with the show. Brian Russillo Podcast, please subscribe. Uh, and we will be back on Thursday. Then going to three days a week coming up here soon. Ryan Russillo Podcast, Springer Spotify. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Kansas, 1-877-77-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-800-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.